Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Hello and welcome to the School of Last Podcast. This is Rick Roberts. And today I've got an interview for you with Jeff Allen. Jeff, you may know from numerous TV appearances, he's been doing comedy since 1978 and had a lot of great nuggets, a lot of wisdom in there and a, a lot of stuff that was fairly personal that he revealed. And I think you're going to really, really enjoy this podcast. Before we get into that, here's a quick podcast review on iTunes from Mike Hickman. It says, I personally know Rick and can say with confidence he is genuine on and off the stage and his wisdom and his teaching is rock solid. You can trust this guy. Hey, his advice will help any comic from beginner to seasoned. He will, however, eat your fries when you're not looking. (laughs) Hey, thank you very much, Mike Hickman, all the way out there in Texas. Hope you're doing well. And uh, I hope that guy hired you for a gig that I recently recommended you for out there in Midland, Odessa. Hope that pans out. And it's a good experience. Hey, thanks there, Mike, for the iTunes review. If you would like to leave us one on iTunes or Stitcher, uh, it means a lot to me. I don't know if it means a lot to Apple or anybody else, but it keeps me going and it gets me fired up. And thank you very much. If you have any questions for School of Laughs podcast, fire them off, schooloflaughs at gmail.com. And if you're in the Nashville area, we have a writing class coming up starting next Monday, February 8th. It's the 8th, 15th, and 22nd. Those are all Mondays from 6 to 8 o'clock in the Nashville area. So if you're interested in that at all, shoot me an email as well, schooloflaughs at gmail.com. Enough of my rambling. Let's get into the interview with Jeff Allen. Today, I'm at the home of Jeff Allen. Jeff is a comedian that I've watched pretty much since I started. He'd already been doing it for quite a while. I've got to see see him and work with him a couple times at Zany's and a few different places here and there, but haven't really had an extended conversation with. I wanted to kind of pick his brain a little bit and find out a little bit more about him. So you guys are in for a good one today. Jeff, how's it going, sir? Well, you're going to pick what's left of a brain, <laughs> believe me. Has it been kind of cherry-picked? I have a feeling that if they ever did a, one of those MRIs on me, it would just be a charcoal briquette, <laughs> you know, a smoldering briquette up there. <laughs> just so. a little bit left? Yes. Oh, man. Well, I remember seeing you the first time. I think I came through Zany's before I even uh, lived down here. I've been here about 15 years. And saw you do a, a set. And then um, at one of the Christian Comedy Association conferences, saw you do a set. And, uh, you know, know Lenny a little bit from back in the day, what, your manager and all that stuff. But I've always wondered, like, how did you even get to Nashville? Because you you're not a Nashville Southern guy. No, south side of Chicago. And Does I, that make me a Southerner? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you and Leroy Brown. Yeah. Uh, so you grew up in Chicago? Well, I grew up in Chicago and um, started in 78, 1978. You started comedy in 78. Comedy 78, yeah. Comedy clubs exploded in like 1980. So I hit the road and I lived on the road until, I don't know, 84, 85 maybe. I went to L.A. to chase the dream. Right. I didn't bond with with, with with L.A. And I met my wife. She was a waitress at a club in uh, Cleveland at Hilarities. Got married in 86 and moved to Boston. And then after a couple years in Boston, we moved to Jersey because I wanted to work out in New York. And I had to get out of New York before I killed somebody. I got sober in 87 
quit drinking and then uh, the wheels came off on, <laughs> on my sanity. <laughs> whatever I drank for, whatever reasons I drank, they went away because I, I, I just had to get out of New York. So right. they moved to Phoenix, lived there for a few years and then moved to, or six years, I guess. And then we moved to Nashville about 20 years ago. Gotcha. So Phoenix is a place to dry out and dry out. Dry out. Absolutely. I always said God brought me to the <laughs> desert. There's a, there's something metaphorical about the Bible, that God in the desert. That's a lot of ground to cover. Let's go back. You know, if comedy clubs exploded in the 80s, and that's kind of when everybody that had a, a room and a microphone started putting comics up. Absolutely. And you started in 78. Was there a, were there a couple of clubs in Chicago oh, that sure. were full-time? Chicago had, uh, well, Comedy Cottage is where I started, and then they had Zanies. Zanies. When I first started working Zanies here, Lenny wasn't there. And uh, I always like telling this story because I was drinking then, so Bert wouldn't let me drink at the club uh, because I, by the second show I couldn't work, you know. So they wouldn't serve me, so I had to go across the street to Douglas Corner, which was a lesbian bar at the time. <laughs> so I'm in a bar one night and uh, you know drinking between shows, and there was a fight breaks out, so the cops show up. Anyway, they break up the fight, and, it's, and the cop is you know, you know, really upset. And one cop makes a disparaging remark about lesbians, uh, uses a derogatory term. Well, she call cocks him and knocks him out. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, his partner's laughing. You know, when you assault a cop, most times they get upset. Well, anyway, he was laughing because she knocked him out with one punch. Oh, no. So he, call, he uh, smelling salts and wakes him up. And he finally gets oriented, and he looks at me, and he goes, "What are you doing here? You know, you should even be here." I go, "Well, they won't serve me." You know, I said, I'm a comic from across oh, no. the street. So he says, "Not one word." You know, I go, "No, I won't even mention it." So it was my opening bit. <laughs> yeah, for the rest. of <laughs> But I love uh, telling the story. But yeah, that's the Zanies connection and how I got to Nashville. But uh, I ended up moving here because um, I was living in Phoenix at the time and made some changes in my life. And my wife wanted to get closer to Ohio. That's where her so family's from. We started looking at Nashville to move uh, because there's an industry here. Mm -hmm. um, there is. Uh, it's it's not L.A. or New York, but it's, certainly there's an industry here. And I got a showcase for, um, I think at the time it was Legacy Entertainment, which was doing Seinfeld. They were folding up the production company because Seinfeld was was folding up. And um, a friend of mine that lives here was a morning DJ. Uh, she said, um, I'll buy your ticket if you want a showcase. So I ended up getting a development deal out of that showcase. Uh, they um, they liked what they saw. I was in Vegas at the Trop. Uh, and at that time, I was beginning to sign with the management company here uh, where Lenny eventually came over. Lenny left Saney's and came over. Mm -hmm. And Lenny's been with me ever since. So that was about the mid-'90s. But we, uh, I, I asked my wife, I won't move to Ohio. I didn't want to move to Ohio, right. but I said I'm willing to move to to Nashville. Okay, uh, they, your wife's from Ohio. Yeah, she's from Ohio. She, she had a little her bit of family, family lives down here? in Cincinnati. Okay, so you know Phoenix. When you're that far from family, uh, it's it was hard. So yeah. anyway, it, it's been a great move. That's cool. Now we have a little bit in common because I met my wife at Hilarities in Akron. Ah, well, that's where I met Tammy. Okay, was uh, Cuyahoga. Yeah, so we got married in Cuyahoga. Did you really? Yeah. Wow, which waitress was it? No, she she didn't wait. Oh, um, oh okay. Yeah, she came to a show. Uh, she went to Kent State, and mm. she came to see a show, bought a CD, and it was like, 
way back, like my first CD back when they were kind of a new thing to have, you know, selling. Yeah. So I had like my email, you know, seven six three seven dot two four five at compuserve dot com. <laughs> and like a year later, she emailed me. She goes, uh, "I like to get another one of your CDs." I'm like, "Well, I don't have a new one yet." She goes, "No, the same one. I've just worn this one out listening to it." Oh wow! I'm like, "What?" I said, "Well, I'm gonna be back up in Akron in a couple of weeks. Just pop out and let me know. And I'll just give you one." Then I saw her. I'm like, whoa, she's been listening to my CD for a year. Right. <laughs> this is great. So we kind of hit it off. And um, I remember going to see her her family for the first time over Thanksgiving. And her mom had actually seen me with an improv group, Midwest Comedy Tool and Die. Uh, up at, up, I remember them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were based in Columbus. And her mom had seen me with them uh, where I do my little Barney Fife character and stuff. And she's like, oh, no, you brought Barney Fife to Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, yeah, so I talked to her, kind of talked to her into moving to Nashville because I wanted to move down here. Um, I'd already been, I think I worked Nashville six times that year and only worked in Columbus twice. And like, if I lived in Tennessee, I would have been home for six weeks. Right. And that was right when Brian Dorfman moved down here and okay. kind of took over for Lenny. And, uh, Brian was real gracious said, Hey, move down here and just pop in the club every night. You'll work one spot or the other. So, so that was kind of my little way to get down here, but we got that Ohio lady connection. Yeah. Buckeyes, baby. So cool. So that development deal you had, uh, what was that for? Is it for a show? Uh, sitcom, sitcom at the time yeah it was uh we really didn't have an idea um they just liked what they saw and through that i went through uh to castle rock uh the, the head of castle rock at the time a guy named glenn padnick had a showcase at um at the improv and i don't know if you've done industry showcases mm-hmm. but they're you know they're a nightmare yeah I mean, it's usually the worst crowd you'll have well it's all these young guys that that are working their way up through you know the the, the head guys normally don't come well, that night a guy came, and I get called into his office. And it's very interesting because I said to the guy when we met, I said, "I'm just curious, what was it about the show that attracted you?" Because I, you know, I tanked. I was like twentieth oh, out yeah. of twenty-five guys. Uh, anyway, he said, "You know, it's interesting." Uh, he started with All in the Family, so he was in his fifties, and he said, uh, "I just remember when a time when comics were happy." Out of 25 guys, all I remember was you're the only guy who smiled. <laughs> he said, everybody else was just ticked off. Uh-huh. And he says, you walk out, and you're actually like a breath of fresh air. You're just, you know, you, had, you were upbeat, happy. So anyway, I told my assistant, get his name. I just want to find out what he's so happy about. Right. <laughs> so anyway, he goes, I don't know if you have a show idea. I go, not really, you know, and I was just curious um, uh, because as a comic, you want to do well. Uh, you know, I'm sure I got a few laughs, but uh, nothing, you know, nothing amazing. But uh, anyway, from that, uh, we ended up doing a deal, uh, a pilot with uh, PAX Television, the now defunct PAX. I say I'm probably the guy that brought him over the uh, to the edge of bankruptcy because yeah, it, I remember PAX. It was, it was an expensive uh, project, but it was through Castle Rock and one of their divisions and the producer. Anyway, a bunch of people got involved in it. And, and did you finally come around to a kind of a concept for the show? Oh, sure. We, we ended up producing a pilot. And know. so who, what what role did you play of yourself? I was, was uh, a downsized um, businessman, uh, moved from uh, a, a larger city, Indianapolis, to a smaller city market. Okay. And from a uh, a family, a husband, father, had some dorky kids. And, did you have a wacky neighbor? No, we didn't. Uh, we, it, it was funny when I first, when we first shot it. I remember looking at it, thinking, "Man, that's actually pretty good," you know. And then Tammy and I went to New York for a week 
to celebrate and came back home. I popped it and looked at it. I called Lenny and I said, they're not going to pick this oh, up. Man. It's not very good. <laughs> I, I highly recommend to comedians that if, if your goal is to, to get into those, uh, take acting classes and um, learn yeah, how, to, how to read lines. Not and, much um, time if they give you the green light and you haven't taken a class yet, huh? No, you know, and my, my theory was when I sat with them, because they asked, you know, can you act? I go, look, I'm as bad as I'm going to be. I'll get better. Mm -hmm. I will. I know this. I know I can do this. Uh, I, just, I will, you know, so the pilot will be as bad as I'm going to be. Surround me with, you know, like Seinfeld, surround me with competent characters and uh, we'll be fine. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I think there were a lot of other issues with it, with the casting and stuff. That's wild. And so how do you still have that tape somewhere? Oh, I do. I call it my $750,000 paperweight. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. So so that that didn't work, but you know, comedy is still you're still knocking it out of the park. Every time I see your your delivery and your pace, you know, I think a lot of the new comics don't have the, you know, eight laughs a minute kind of thing down like some of the old school guys, and especially Chicago comics. You know, Boston and Chicago comics, New York of course too. Um, really had that pace down. Was it when you started out? Was that a deliberate thing, or was it you just needed to be on task that much to to stay in the groove that the other comics in the show were in, or to keep the audience at bay? Well, Boston, especially Boston, was literally uh, a one up thing. I mean, you'd be in the back of the room cutting up with other comics, and you'd start hearing the guy that you're following, and he's nailing pound, 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 and you better be on your game. Because they had the tension span of a gnat. I mean, right. if if they didn't like you and you weren't on it, they let you know. And uh, there was a pride factor involved in it. I can remember out of town comics coming to Boston from New York or L.A. to headline, and they had a couple of Tonight shows or or uh, maybe a, a sitcom. One of them I remember specifically had a sitcom, and he wasn't. They weren't quality. I mean, they they. Mm -hmm. And I remember on stage making a crack about, I got to go home and check out this sitcom and see what all the hoopla was about. And his agent got in my face. Don't you disrespect my my guy. And I said, he needs to go back to LA and do his homework. Yeah. Because this is the big league. This was, I mean, Boston was the, was the, in Chicago, you just learn that if you, if you, if you stop and ask rhetorical questions, the audience gets, and I never wanted to deal with the audience. Right. I never, I never did it well. I was snotty. Uh, I found that it was hard for me when I when I dealt with hecklers, um, and I got good response to go back to do material. It's really hard. It was hard to follow because yeah. people felt, well, hey, you keep picking on the jerk, you right. know, because we really like that. Well, and I didn't want the jerk. I can't, you know, I used to tell the jerk, I can't take you on the road with me. Right. You know, it's great. You and I are working great together here. You know, it's fun mm -hmm. making fun of you, but I can't take you to the next town. And it's so, tough sometimes too. You see comics all the time go back to that heckler ten minutes later because they haven't got that response. Again. Well, and then I got—I can remember specifically, specifically in Tucson, my parents were going to come to the show, which was rare, and I wanted them to see what I do. And the guy in front of me created this total chaos. Then there were guys that didn't know what they were doing; right. they couldn't control the room, so they had all this total chaos. So anyway, I remember going on stage, and the guy started heckling me, and I looked down and I said, "Look, pal, I write—I I have a show. Unlike the guy before me, I don't need you." So you can you can get up, take a whiz, go out in the bar, have a cocktail, <laughs> but I'm not talking to you from here on out, you know. And that was my cue to the management to shut the guy up. I, uh, you know, this this nonsense that uh, comics like to be heckled mm -hmm. uh, is it, it is nonsense. 
you know, I, I, you know, Leno said it, and I and I agree wholeheartedly with it. Why you do the same show every night, or why at least you have an outline of a show, is you can't take an audience on a ride or a journey uh, unless you know where you're going. Right. So they can't follow you. They're not going to follow somebody who doesn't know where they're going. So I know where I'm going. I usually have a, a starting bit, and I have an ending bit, and somewhere in the middle I kind of fill it in. And I've been doing it long enough. And my whole point in writing is always to just, how do I get to the point, get to the point, get to the point, taking out words. You know, and it's funny, writing a book years later, it was the opposite, the huh? opposite of that. I mean, you got to fill a book. Yeah. You know, you can't give them three, three lines and then that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, Hemingway, all in one. Yeah. Let's get to six And I'm a storyteller, so how do I take a line? If I write a funny line, how do I make it sound like it's a true story? And how do you punch up, like, when you're on stage and you've got a story and you know it's going to be a little bit longer, but you still want those those laughs at a, at a certain clip, you know, do you just kind of feel it out on stage to see, you know, I like, sometimes I find myself, I like the way I'm saying something, but then I watch the video and go, I don't have to say that whole thing I just said there to get right. to the laugh. But where do you mix it up on stage? I know it's kind of a, a progress <laughs> thing in progress. Well, it's, um, one, I think all good comics, if, if, if a comic... I, before I was even a, a believer, a, a follower of Christ, I, I watched preachers. Mm -hmm. Good speakers have good rhythm, uh, like singers. You watch, uh, you you could take five popular singers, give them the same song, they'll arrange it five different ways. It'll be the same lyrics, but the rhythm and the breaks and the breathing and all of that will be different. And I think it's the same with comics. Milton Berle said it takes 10 years to find your voice. I have a voice. I have a rhythm. I have a cadence to what I do. When it's out of that, when I'm working something new, mm. it's more or less finding the rhythm first. And then if it doesn't work three or four times, I'll, I'll set it aside. I, I kind of got an idea what works for me. I, I do. I, I know. So it isn't so much the jokes as it is the rhythm because that way it doesn't take me out of my rhythm. So if it doesn't work, at least I'm still in my rhythm, and yeah. I, can, I can go to something that's tried and true and that I know. And then you get a sense of, um, you know what works. And if it's not working, then maybe it's them, not me. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly conditions dictate. You've, you've done enough corporate shows to know that sometimes you're just you're fighting an uphill battle yeah. with sound and lights. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, that's, that's good advice there. You know, put it in your rhythm first and find the phrasing, kind of hammer it out. Yeah, you know what you want to say. I mean, I mean you kind of get to the point. I, again, I'm, I eighty percent of what I do wouldn't work for anybody else. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you're writing these out at home; you're just doing them on stage. No, and yeah, you're right. Weeding I, stuff I in and out. I got an idea. Uh, I'm trying to think of something that I'm new that I've just kind of incorporated. Oh, the the, the whole thing about the Fitbit, mm -hmm. uh, and and I have a whole bunch of stuff on exercise. So anyway, I stopped doing the exercise stuff years ago, and then I Tammy gives me this Fitbit, and then I realize that they monitor my sleep habits, so it becomes a privacy joke more than a gotcha. exercise joke. <laughs> right. It's like, gee, I'm not giving up enough of my privacy to Apple, Google, and the government. What could go wrong? One more corporation monitoring my sleep habits. Well, then that works itself into like something else that comes out of that. And the next thing I know, I got a five or ten minute opening chunk where i brought back my exercise and mm -hmm. skiing stuff you know uh, my wife says you know because the doctor oh i know what it was the physicals we ended up taking physicals and she gave me the line we were she was putting her shoes on 
And I said, how are you feeling today? She goes, uh, if I was part of a wildebeest herd, I've been eating weeks ago, <laughs> which <laughs> is a great, great line. line. So anyway, I go, that's great. So doctor tells us, um, you know, we, uh, I said, we took our vacation money this year and spent it on physicals. That's the beauty of being 60 years old. <laughs> you know, you have to prioritize your, your money. So instead of Cancun, I got to go down to Vanderbilt. And then the uh, doctor gives us two weeks later, he tells us, if you and your wife were part of a wildebeest herd, <laughs> you would have disappeared weeks ago, you know, the, the whole thing. And that leads into, so Fitbit. Mm -hmm. And then he says, you got to move. I said, I can't stand a treadmill. So she suggests skiing. I said, skiing, you know, if you get, you know, if you want me dead, just use a, a gun like other wives, you know. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it, it all kind of fits, but it comes from just years of having archived mm -hmm stuff you know and so to me it's fresh if you had seen me 15 years ago when i was doing skiing stories you'd go oh my god he's still doing a skiing yeah. story nicely added a fitbit thing <laughs> right, at the end exactly of it. but uh yeah, yeah come on new jokes already you know so anyway for me it's fresh and i'm, I'm having fun telling it so yeah. the energy's there the rhythm's there the and all of that no i think it's good because i've got jokes that i like um and you, you've done shows probably where people come up and go hey man you didn't do that one bit right and you probably forgot about it altogether, or you right. or you rotated it out on purpose ten years ago or five years ago. Which but is why you record? Yeah, I, I go back every once in a while and listen to these old tapes and go, "Oh yeah. man," because sometimes you you probably had this too. You had a joke; it works, 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 works. Eh, something happens and it just doesn't work anymore, and it's just like you, right. you're not hitting it with the same. So you can go back and look at some of the video or, or the tapes and go, "Oh yeah, it's way too wordy now. Why am I doing this?" Or right. it's splintering off before it needs to. It's always working. Pro and I hate giving up jokes that really work. Right. But you got to work in the new material too. So it's it's. I love bringing back some of the old stuff to kind of flow it through. You know, I wish I could take better records of maybe, you know, these corporate gigs where they want you back in three years. I'm trying to take better notes of what I did three years ago. So when I come back, it's Tom different. Tom Friesen told me back in when he was doing television, there was Dinah Shore, Merv Griffin, uh, Mike Douglas. Mm -hmm. the, those are the three uh, B. That's where you kind of honed your television cred, you know. But he had a wall a board, a, a poster board of his bits that he did on Dinah, he did on Mike, he did on, you know, so, and he color-coded them. So he knew which ones he did. And then when he started doing the Tonight Shows, he did over 60 Tonight Shows. Mm -hmm. He had all of those coded so that you couldn't, you can't repeat, you know. And now with cable, the way it is, um, it's such a, you know, it's like the Wild West. You just kind of do it. And they edit everything and, you know, so it's it's a completely different animal now, television. Uh, and I'm not going to do Fallon or uh, any of those. Those were those have long since passed me by. Well, I remember uh, Eddie Brill was a uh, coordinator for Letterman, and Eddie and I worked together in, in Boston. I said to Tammy, uh, it's great when you're around long enough to where your friends now become executives or in the positions. So anyway, I got an audition for the Letterman show, and he he, he really laid it out truthfully he said look dave will give me and i forget the number 25 spots mm -hmm. 17 of those spots will be repeats so i have a year to put eight new guys on and unless you got a movie or a sitcom or something he's going to want to know why a guy your age right. is on the show they're trying to develop younger guys and all that so i got it i mean i understood it it's just something that has passed yeah. Now, so Eddie was back in Boston. Who, who else was was in the Boston scene when you were back? Oh, there? Kenny Rogerson. Oh yeah, <laughs> Kenny and I still was was dear friends. You still wear the trench coat? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's awesome. still. Uh, yeah, he's. Uh, we were born same day, same year. Really? So no matter how bad drunk we were, 
and what gutter we were laying in. We always seem to find each other on our birthdays and make a phone call. That's and talk great. For like 30 years now, 30, 35 years, I guess. Wow. And uh, Don Gavin, uh, Mike's, uh, uh, Steve Sweeney, um, uh, Dennis Leary, Lenny Clark, those guys were all uh, part of that. Uh, Nick DiPaolo was just starting when I left. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was just in Chicago doing uh, theater there, um, uh, performing center, and um, DePaulo was at uh, Zany's, and I wanted to go see him, but I, I was sick. I, I just, I, it's all I could do to get through my show. That's too bad you didn't get to see him. That's... Yeah, he's one of my favorites. I mean, and and as a Christian, it's kind of hard to promote him, right? But uh, I, God, he kills me. I'm just, you know, that's cool. A lot of those guys are are still as strong as ever, if not oh, bigger. Yeah. You know. It's a, yeah. it's a pretty steady class there. Yeah, Jackie Flynn. I just, uh, you know, I, he's on my Facebook. That's cool. Um, if you don't mind, let's talk a little bit. You, you know, you mentioned getting sober and the transition out of that, and still, still being able to be funny, even though that was a big part of who you who you were, probably. You know, when when you were an alcoholic, that's who you are. And then you switch gears. You move to Phoenix. Yeah. Was there a a thing in the back of your head that was like, man? Will I be funny after I clean up, or, or what was the process like to work through that? I mean, it's a, it's a big topic, but my hardest issue was it was a an existential issue more than a comedy issue. I I didn't feel my whole life became empty at that point, and I just couldn't see a reason. I couldn't see a way out of comedy, and I couldn't see a reason to continue to do it. So it was kind of a it was a. a a couple of years of just literally sitting on a stool in a club talking to an audience. And there were nights that I would ask really questions that meant something to me. Like, why are we here? (laughs) I'm asking an audience (laughs) in a hockey rink in Grand Rapids, (laughs) Michigan, what's the point to life? Why are we here? You know, and uh, some, you know, there's a little voice in the back. We just want to hear some jokes. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you, I mean, but it was, you know, my, I, I had my wife telling me, stop it. With the melancholy, stop it! We're we're losing. I was losing work. People were calling agents, going, "Man, he's not funny anymore." He's like, you know. So it was a lot of soul searching, uh-huh. but it wasn't about you know. Well, gee, I quit drinking now. I'm not funny. It was, why am I doing this? What's the point? And then, I don't know when you started, but there came a point where comedy, you know, they wouldn't pay things. I was losing money. I I couldn't afford my bills. I couldn't. You know, so there was a lot of that stuff going, a lot of angst, a lot of anxious anxiety. Marriage wasn't doing well. Still hitting the road 35 weeks a year or whatever, away from home. My kids were growing. So there was a lot of all this stuff going on. And in the middle of all of that, um, you got to figure out, you know, hey, your job is, that's your job, you, mm-hmm. gotta, you know, to be funny. Fight, fighting with the wife, you know, people go, why do you call your wife before the show? Because <laughs> I'm a sadist, shut up. <laughs> you be pumped up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't abuse and my body with alcohol now. So I got it really <laughs> angry and, and enraged, and then that didn't work. I shut down, um, you know. So um, it, was a, it was a hard time, but a great, looking back on it, uh, I came out of that with a, um, I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do, and and I think it shows. I, I really do. I have a good time, and I'm appreciative of, of all the work I do. It's rare that I ever come home and go, boy, I don't. I I wish I didn't have to do that job. Right. And I've had, you know, I've had a couple of rough nights in in that in that twenty years. Now that twenty years. So there's the first sixteen, seventeen years, which were just kind of what I call finding myself, and then after my commitment uh, to Christ. 
all of those answers, those deeper questions were answered for me. And I don't know why they were an issue anyway. I grew up in a South Side blue collar. You know, it, it, believe me, these were not things discussed at our dinner table. Mm-hmm. So those questions are answered. You know, origin, meaning, morality, destiny. Those those things. I you know, and believe me, as a father of two, I mean, you know, Tammy used to look at me and go, "Why can't you? Why can't they be answered in us?" And they go, "Well, they're not. I don't know why. I, I you know, I didn't know why, but mm-hmm. now they are. And I don't, I don't. The deep questions are no longer a part of it." And I can go out and have some fun. Did you, did you find that some some material stopped working, or did you change the the angle, your point of view, when you kind of? I mean, because it was a process, two or three. Oh, years, it was. Probably, I was least, again. I was say. really angry. It's, it's interesting because I, you know when I go to work at church, they'll ask, you know, boy, you must have changed a lot. No, I didn't. The content didn't change. The attitude did. The heart did. The mind. You know, they, what they saw was different. I mean, there was a club owner in uh, Houston, a woman who wouldn't hire me anymore because of the way I talked about my wife. And it was interesting. This will be, you know, Jake Johansson said something. Uh, a, a friend of mine worked with him, and Jake didn't have a good set. Yeah, the, my friend did. So they're driving back to the condo, and Jake is it's quiet in the car. You know, usually when one guy does well, another guy doesn't. It's it's quiet. You know. So anyway, Jake goes, "Yeah, that was a good show." And the guy goes, "Thank you." He goes, "No, I wasn't talking about your show." He said, "When I'm thinking about who was laughing at my stuff, if I was to handpick." Out of that audience, those are the people I would want to reach. And you realize that when you're when you're not famous, people you you get a, all different kinds of people in your audience. Well, all of a sudden, I started paying attention to who were coming over to me, and they were guys wearing wife beater shirts, and uh-huh. you know, I mean, there were guys that I wouldn't hang with and have a beer with. So that's who I was connecting with, and because of the anger, uh-huh. and, you know, and there were times my wife came out, the, the rare kinds, she'd leave in tears because of the things I was saying about her. And it was just the anger. So the comedy, once I lightened up a little bit and stopped cussing, my gosh, what an amazing difference in, in material when you have to get a thesaurus out and you get a dictionary and you go, gee, I wonder if I could work this clean. And my best example is I do a hunting bit about uh, uh, moose hunting with my parent, my dad. And I had a horn. I'm blowing the horn, this this, this horn. And I asked him what it was. He said, mating call of a moose. Well, you're 11. You don't think a whole lot about mating. Right. When you got older, you start thinking, what if this thing actually works? <laughs> you know, you stand with, you know, make for a festive day out in nature, you know, to, to assuage 2,200 pounds of amorous bull moose. Right. You know, cool your jets, bullwinkle, I'm not even your species. So then the, the, the joke that was dirty was I'd get home how I was hunting? Well, it was great. Kirk mutilated a rabbit. Dad bagged a deer, and then I would say, "You know, I, I effed the moose." You know, that gets a laugh. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I'm I'm clean now. So how do you work it clean? Well, the the joke that came out of it was, you know, Kirk mutilated a rabbit. Dad bagged the deer, and I got a date for the prom. That could be done anywhere, mm-hmm. and it gets just as big a laugh as the other one did. And I I don't have a problem doing it anywhere, you know. And uh, as a matter of fact, she's out in the back now, you know, right, right. crazy. <laughs> So um, there, I can't think of one thing that I did, even in regards to sex, which I didn't talk a lot about anyway. You know, what came out of that was a, a cleverer bit. Uh, you know, we, we still get intimate, my wife and I. We just save it for special holidays. Her favorite, it turns out, is leap year. <laughs> there you, go. you know, and uh, didn't even know that was a holiday. <laughs> as a matter of fact, next month, Leap year, baby. Uh-oh. Yeah, got so, it in Siri. You know. <laughs> Make some plans. So anyway, 
all of it can be worked and it just takes some time. And I think what happened with comedy coming out of the 60s and the 70s where there was public decency standards where you were not allowed to cuss in public. So the guys that like Carlin and then Lenny Bruce who got jailed for it, um, you were pushing back against something. And I think that's where the term edge came from. You know, so comics came to the edge, the line, they pushed it. There's no line anymore. Right. I almost think that the, 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 the rebels are the ones who are willing to, to work clean. And, uh, it, it does force you to, um, to use the language. We have a great language. I mean, if you, you know, it's a big dictionary. Well, it's you know, Carlin said seven words you can't say, and it's comics pick those seven up, and that's right. all they say. <laughs> no. Yeah, so, you know, that's great. Now, uh, and that's not a, a disparaging thing against guys who use language. You know, uh, you know, Dennis Miller is one of my favorite comics, and Dennis doesn't need a word of that. Doesn't. Right. I mean, obviously, he's got a, you know, a, a tr- amazing vocabulary. Uh, so he just chooses to use it when he does. You know, yeah. but um, uh, what would it cause me say about Eddie Murphy? I think it was. Richard Pryor, if you took out the thirteen letter adjectives, there's a great act there. There's a there's a there's a life there, there's stories there, there's whatever. And he said, Murphy, if you took him out, there's a lot less there. And then you get so that's my the way I look at a comic who swears a lot. If you took it all out, what's there? Right. And it should never be used as a punchline. If if a cuss word is used as a punchline, there's not a lot there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I've always approached it from the angle of trying to, A, I'm not the kind of guy that is quick enough on his feet to change the joke for a specific audience. I'd rather just write one that's going to work everywhere. <laughs> you know? Well, and it fits you. That too. And as you get older, um, I can't remember, who, I think it was Jim Gaffigan said in an interview recently, he's like, I shouldn't be dropping an F-bomb if I'm talking about Cheetos. Like, you know, <laughs> you know something like that. He's like, it just doesn't fit who I am. It doesn't make sense. You right. know, it looks ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, it... it I wouldn't say, you know, some people say it limits you. I just think it invites you to a different part of creativity, you know. Let's come over here and see what we can work with in this room. These see, I, I, I don't think it limits you at all. I think it makes you, uh, it's like going to the gym, and if you can curl 50 pounds and you curl in 10 pounds, you're not going to get it. You're going to get nothing but weaker. So if your intellect is, again, you can only work as far as your mind will let you go. Right. I had to start looking upwards. Uh, that started in the uh, at, at the New York Club, Catch a Rising Star. I heard Bill Hicks one night, and he referred to Ronald Reagan as a capitalistic swine. And it's New York, so everybody laughs. And I'm driving home, and it hits me. I don't know what a capitalist is. I had no idea. And it hits me that that's got to be a basic word. It has to be. It doesn't sound like a difficult word. I didn't, right. I didn't know what it was. So I looked it up, and then, of course, I thought, well, what's wrong with that? You know, I want to make a few bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I don't feel like giving all my money to, to somebody. I don't, you know, anyway, that's another issue. But I that came a point where I started looking up words. I started reading books at that point because I realized I make my living with words. I'm, I, I, you know, so I'm limiting myself, my tool bag by not having a vocabulary. So young comics come to me all the time and they ask, you know, what's the best advice? Read. Whatever you get your hands on. I don't care if it's People Magazine. I don't care. Whatever it is, read. Become relevant. You know, my references are dated. I I did a tour with some young comics for a while and all they did was mock my references. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm tired. I'm not going to do Adele references because, you know, I'm 60 years old. Right. So I'm not going to try to be hipper than I am. So I'll use Sade. You know, and if they don't know who it is, tough. Right. You know, look it up. <laughs> Go look it up. Look her up. You know, so 
Yeah, that's part about staying true to who you are and exactly and your audiences. I even mock my references. I'll tell them they're flat as Kravitz. I go, you know, all right, I know it's the sixties. <laughs> Eventually, you're going to run out of people right. to understand, and that's 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 when you hang it up. That's hilarious. Uh, and so, for the people that don't know you, um, you, you do shows in churches, you do corporate events, yes, still do some clubs. On yeah, I just was in hilarities of, in uh, Cleveland back in October. And is that kind of just a sweet spot for you? Because you you kind of started, you know, you met your wife up in that area, or well, the, it's you like also, the guy that runs the club, or yeah, I know the owner, and uh, they asked. I uh, I did Zanies in August. I don't know if uh, if I'll be back. Um, you know, my audience uh, when they do come out, uh, they don't drink a lot, and it is about making money and check check numbers and mm-hmm. things like that. So, um, you know, it's one thing to draw, and it's another thing to draw the right kind of audience, I guess. So, right, uh, but. Um, I can tell you this, when my audience comes out, there's no fist fights. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's across the street, Douglas Corner. <laughs> right, exactly, Douglas Corner, which is, I don't know, I think they've changed. <laughs> they've changed a little bit. But, uh, and uh, I'm going to ask you, if, if if you don't mind, I, I can't remember, Lenny told me or I heard it somewhere else, but uh, a corporate gig thing that you did, were, was it Sam's Club? Oh, or, yeah, that, I think I know this your is, audience. Yeah, yeah, I think this is great because uh, I've been in that situation before, I, I, I was... I was doing a gig for Frito Lay, and one of my jokes I just talked to, for some reason talked about um, Lance crackers coming out of this vending machine, and I just I didn't even see it coming, didn't right. even think about it, and I said Lance, and they all went boo, like they were booing me. I know, and they were loving me to that one thing. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I said, well, that was what was in the vending machine. It wasn't your, you know. So tell them what happened on yours. Well, I was in Vegas doing Sam's Club, uh, and Sam's Club. I didn't realize it is kind of like a cult. I mean, it's a rah rah. Right. Mean, so anyway, I had a joke in my act uh, about brownies. I do a thing about uh, my wife and I hide food in our bedroom. You know, um, you know, we'll go in our room late at night and lock the door. The kids may think we're doing something else, but in actuality, we're just under the covers eating brownies and laughing at them. Right. So anyway, I recall it later. I uh, I actually made up a kid for the joke. Um, I said uh, we have three three children, ages are you know twenty. 18 and four and then the joke was well we ran out of brownies one night ah okay <laughs> so i said that'll know and then the, the follow-up tag to that was well that'll never happen again we buy them by the pallet now from costco so i'm in sam's club <laughs> now it's just simple enough to change it <laughs> right to sam's club we, we buy and i would have got a i would have got a standing ovation that would have been your closer we buy them by the pallet from sam's club well, I didn't think. Uh-huh. I, and Lenny says he's in the back of the room and he knows where I'm going. He says, I'm, I'm watching you. I wanted to stand up and shout, Sam's Club. So anyway, I deliver the line, Costco. But, you know, just exactly. And, and and it was a genuine. It wasn't a good natured. It was just an absolute, you know. And at that point, the reason I was doing the show was they were considering putting one of my DVDs into the Oh, no. Yeah. That so, was the whole point of the uh, show. And that, did that not happen after? That uh, didn't happen. And <laughs> did I told him, Costco? Be enough to, no, no, oh, that's what I told Lenny. Let's you know, solicit Flip the Co- coin, Lenny. Costco. But that turns out they're big uh, left-wing freaks. Anyway, oh, so. man. So you, it's funny. You know, I mean, you, and you've been doing comedy since 78. Right. So, you know, one this one little slip-up. And how, how deep into your show was that? Was it long? Oh, that's uh, near the end. So not much recovery after that? Just not at of... all. You know, and uh, fortunately, I was close to the end because they didn't really respond much after that. I mean, and, I, you know, you try to cover it up and go, ah, I was kidding. It was a joke. Yeah. No, you know. So It's funny the things you, I mean, something just happened, you know. And they're not going to put that DVD in their stores where it says Costco. I mean. Right. So if you're going to use product references, 
um, you know, be just be aware of that. That if if you're trying to get your product into a certainly a, a big box chain like um, Walmart, take or, all my Walmart jokes at yeah, or put them in, you know, and then sell them. But you're not going to get into Costco with that. Yeah, so. that's cool, man. So, uh, what do you got going on now? What, what's I know you've got a pot. Let's talk about your podcast for a second because I want anybody that listens to this one to. To pull oh, over yeah. to um, an examine life. With an Jeff examine Allen. life with Jeff Allen. It covers uh, some of those deeper issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to lighten it up a little bit, uh, but if you go to the earlier things, we've had sex addicts on, drug addicts, alcoholics. Um, we, we we got you know, and um, basically the green room at a comedy club. But basically, my <laughs> friends. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I kind of hang with all the dregs of um, you know the. the um, but uh, I've had I just interviewed Doby Maxwell uh, out of Chicago. Doby's great. Doby's got a great book coming out in March uh, that I think they're considering making a movie out of. Um, and then I interviewed Tom Dreesen, uh, uh, just uh, one of the heroes of mine from Chicago, who goes back toward fourteen years with Frank Sinatra and um, his insights into t- tonight shows and, and how the industry has changed a little bit, and also um, some of the charity work that he's doing. Um, and I'm interviewing some authors and uh, just anybody who interests me. If I, it, it's all of a sudden now I, I go on and on when I pick a book up on Amazon and read it, I think, gee, I wonder if I can interview the author. And I've reached out to a couple of them and they've responded back. And uh, with the, with this being a political season, I'm reaching out to some political people um, to see if they'll do, you know. And again, you know, I got like nine listeners. So if you know, so, if we can double that, <laughs> you can double that to eighteen. That would be great. <laughs> Uh, also, um, some guy contacted me, a, a former friend, a, a former friend, a friend of mine that I've lost touch with, uh, reached out to me about a, a possible movie on, um, on, I don't want to say on my life. Uh, it'll loosely based on, uh, on, on my journey to faith and, oh, that's uh, cool. through, through the comedy. And so, uh, I get to play myself, which I'll maybe do better than some businessman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Just don't I, downsize yourself. Yeah. Downsize yeah. myself. So. <laughs> Uh, we're meeting out in LA in February. So who knows, maybe in a year or so, uh, you know, that's always been a dream of mine. My dream acting has always been, I just wanted to be in a Western, walk out on my porch, squint into the sun, cock <laughs> yeah. a Winchester and go get off my land. Yeah. That's it. I just want to say, get off my land. Yeah. And, uh, and then I'll ride off into the sunset. That's not a bad dream. And never do another movie. <laughs> I just want to go to the movies once with friends of mine. And when I come on the screen, yell out at the top of my line, hey, that's me. That's me. Look at that. Stand up. And go, it's me. You know. Stay in a theater all day long. Just yeah, exactly. wait for new crowds Every, to come in. Yeah. I'll be the only row. one buying it. Well, they sold 17 tickets to, to that movie and 16 of them were to Jeff Allen. <laughs> <You know. laughs> that's hilarious. So yeah, check him out. It's uh, an examined life. It's I know it's on iTunes. It might pop up other places. I don't know Stitcher or whatever. Well, E E Square E the number two media. It's not E squared. E E, e the number two media network dot com. I don't know why they pick such a convoluted um, web web address yeah. URL, but uh, <laughs> they wanted to make sure people that found it really wanted to find it. I mean, it. Uh, yeah, E media would have been nice, but I'm sure that's been taken. So anyway, it's it's like uh, you know I'll. Uh, people buy stuff online of mine, my my product, and I'll get their email address, and it'll be their name, and then eight hundred and sixty three, yahoo dot com, right? Or you know, net whatever, you know. And I'm thinking, well, there's eight hundred and sixty two other ones, <laughs> right? <know? laughs> 
maybe email the, all of them starting out with one all the way up to 863 and see if yeah, exactly. maybe that's your target market that yeah, one guy's think name that. <laughs> think of that you know that's right we could increase the uh, mailing list by another 863 <laughs> yeah pretty easy just have yeah. somebody in there keying it in well, and you have some comedians on there too, uh, Darren Streblo, Ron oh, Pearson. Oh, yeah, Ronnie Pearson. Lots of funny guys. So if, if you guys like listening, Brad to this, Stein. Brad Stein's a good good listen. If yeah. you you know make sure your coffee level matches his intensity. Yeah, he's and, the one that got me into Red Bull. I'm, I'm finally off of Red Bull. Yeah, I had to get rid of Monster. I'm still on, I still do coffee in the afternoon, but yeah. Uh, well, I got something for you when we leave here. I'll okay, show, I'll, I'll just you. take a look. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for letting me pop in today and uh, pick your brain a little bit and catch up. And uh, good luck on the possible movie and all the other gigs going on. Thanks, man. Thanks, Rick. You bet. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.